Hi, my name is Angela Shields. I'm an artist. I paint with watercolors and acrylic paint, and I have my work at Market Gallery in downtown Roanoke. I was an art teacher in Roanoke County Schools for 30 years, um, with eight of those years spent at William Byrd High School. I have two claims to fame. Number one, I taught our organist, Susan Smith. <laughs> uh, number two, I taught our assistant educational director, Mike Bryant. <laughs> See how they, uh, yeah, uh, he was a silly little 10th grade boy at that time, and not much has changed. <laughs> uh, my husband, Don, and I have been members of BONSAC for 40 years and have co-taught the Koinonia Sunday School class for 39 of those years. And yes, we're still married. <laughs> we raised two sons in this church, one son, Andy, and his wife, Elizabeth, plus their two children, Samantha and Bronson. They're sitting down here. And they all attend church here now. And our other son, Joel, and his wife, Julie, live in Maryland with their two children, Jackson and Hannah. As I look back over my life, I've learned how wide, long, high, and deep God's love for me has been. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18 says it best. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. There have been times that I have seen it clearly in my life, and I want to share that with you. Do you like to cook? My two sons do, and they're the main cooks in their families. I learned to cook at a very early age. My first memory of cooking was opening a can of soup, <laughs> and that was when I was in the third grade, and I shared it with my younger brother. You see, I came home from school, and my mother was in bed with a migraine and abdominal pain. This was a regular occurrence at our house. My mother had spells of not feeling well, but on some days she was fine. My father told me that before he married my mother, her father told him, Mary is a sickly woman, and you have to promise me that you'll take care of her. Yes, my father took care of her faithfully for 39 years before her death at 57. Our family moved to Roanoke from Withville when I was in the seventh grade, and Daddy took a job at the post office. During all that time, Mama would have good and bad days, and she went from doctor to doctor looking for help with the ongoing, unexplained abdominal pain. In the meantime, the doctor bills and the pharmaceutical bills kept mounting. My father took a second job loading trucks at the airport. I remember his wet post office shirt hanging on the bedpost when he would come home from work. He would shower, change clothes, go to the airport to work until late at night. This was a regular routine in my life and I took it for granted that I needed to get the morning health update from Mama before heading off to school each day. In the meantime, Mama was well enough to have three more healthy children before she was finally diagnosed with porphyria, a rare genetic disease. 
Through all of this, my father always took us to church every Sunday. Mostly mama stayed home not feeling well, but daddy was always faithful to make sure that we went. During those years, I got to watch my father love my mother unconditionally and do it well and with honor. I'm thankful for a father who loved so deeply that he modeled that for me. Because of his love for Mama and for his family, I came to understand at an early age how wide, long, high, and deep God's love is. It was my senior year at William Fleming High School in Miss Mason's English class that I noticed a cute new boy in school. And I maneuvered my way in the class quickly so that I could get a seat right in front of him. <laughs> And that didn't last long because I kept turning around to talk to him and the teacher then promptly moved him to the back of my row <laughs> and I couldn't even see him. His name was Don Shields and we were both 16. We began dating 60 years ago this Halloween. It was six years before we would marry. Because of my mother's illnesses, I knew that there was no money for college when I finished high school, so I took a job at Ewald Clark in downtown Roanoke. On my day off, I would walk to William Fleming to see Miss Betty Minton, and she was my high school phys ed teacher. Again, I saw God's love for me by putting the right person in my life. Miss Minton encouraged me to apply to her alma mater, Longwood College, which is now a university. And she assured me that I could get a state teacher scholarship and work in the dining hall to pay for my, my way through school. I didn't have much confidence that I could get in. I hadn't even taken the SAT test. With her encouragement, though, I did take SATs. And I was so happy when I got my letter of acceptance from Longwood College and graduated four years later with a BS in secondary education with certification in art and English. Again, I saw God's love for me as I was admitted and money was provided every year. I'm proud to say that my parents did not have to pay any of my tuition. And yes, God's love for me was so wide, long, high, and deep that I found my direction in life. Don served time in the Navy and then went to college in Maryville College in Tennessee. We were apart for four years, but we wrote lots of letters, and you did that back then. <laughs> yeah. Our love was true and strong and lasted through all those years apart. I knew I'd found my true love. Our favorite song was Our Day Will Come by Ruby and the Romantics. Yeah, remember that one? <laughs> our, and our dreams, uh, the words go, uh, our dreams have magic and will always stay in love this way. Our day will come. Don and I were married at Oakland Baptist Church. After, <laughs> after my graduation in 1965. Uh, yes, Don and I still feel like our day has come. We still hold hands and love to be together. And again, I've seen how long God's love is through our 54 years of marriage. Don and I began our careers 
Don took a job in the Renwick City Police Department and I started teaching art at William Byrd High School. I enjoyed teaching art there for eight years before I stopped for a while to have children. As Don would come home with stories from his job, I quickly began to learn how fragile life is. He had police stories from a life I knew nothing about. He worked as an undercover drug officer and was gone all hours of the night. I started praying every day for his safety. When he worked in the Youth Bureau, I learned of horrific crimes against children, and I was always proud of the empathy that my husband had for the victims in his work and came quickly to realize that he had a special gift for working with people in need and in danger. One night when Don was at work, I heard a knock on our door, and it was a police officer. I was too young and naive to realize that it, that's usually a death notification when, my, when an officer shows up at the door of a policeman's family. Thankfully, though, Don wasn't dead. He's sitting right up there. <laughs> and he had been hit uh, back, he was in a car wreck and had been hit, uh, T-boned uh, on 10th Street by a drunk driver. And Don had been taken to the hospital with minor injuries. I still remember that night, and now when I hear of police deaths on television, I say a prayer for the officer's family who'll be getting that death notification. Don later taught procedures for death notification in the police academy, and after 34 years, he retired from the police department with his health and never even had to fire his gun once. God's love for me again was wide, long, high, and deep, and I saw it in our careers. Years passed quickly, and our lives settled into routine. We had two sons. I went back to teaching at Northside High School. Don retired from the police department and took a job at our church right here as building administrator. Our kids finished college. They got married. I retired from teaching. I had more time to spend on my art. Don retired again, and four beautiful grandchildren came along, two of them over here. Uh, life was good. Yes, I could see how high God's love was for me. Well, then I turned 70, <laughs> and my health went downhill. And if you're ever 70, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's when I learned how wide God's love is for me. I was always healthy and exercised regularly, so I was surprised when I got shingles, pneumonia, and a bladder infection all at the same time. I spent three days in the hospital, but recovered. About a year later, I had complications with a gallbladder infection. I had to have emergency surgery. The doctor came out of the operating room and told Don that he had to stop the surgery because he had found a large mass and he couldn't remove my gallbladder. A biopsy was taken to see what to do next and I remember Don telling me that he had called our two sons with the bad news and cried. During this time, God's love was there again. I hugged Don and said we would accept whatever the results would be and trust God to take care of me. 
We waited anxiously for five or six long days for the results to come back. Luckily, the mass was sludge, not cancer as we had feared. Drains were put in my side, and I was told to wait for six weeks for another surgery. Well, I only made it for three weeks before I had to go to the hospital for emergency surgery again. Dr. Cadenhead, I don't know if you remember, but that was the first time that we met. Um, I was on a gurney in the emergency room <laughs> with one of those cute little shower caps on my head. <laughs> and I was waiting to be taken upstairs for surgery. And you and John Spencer uh, prayed with me, and again, I saw God's love was there, so wide that my fear was gone. My recovery from this more invasive surgery took several weeks. I was weak and had lost 20 pounds over the course of the illness, but I was determined to get my health back. Well, remember I told you my health went downhill? It's still going. <laughs> About a year later, I went to have my yearly mammogram, and you guessed it. The results showed that I had breast cancer. My first thought was, no, not me, not me, couldn't be. No one in my family had ever had any kind of cancer. My thoughts went to friends who were seriously ill with complications or died from breast cancer. Pam Finley, Dana Sumter, and Donna Peak. And they all came to my mind. And yes, I was afraid. I was afraid of what was ahead. But again, I turned to God and saw, uh, saw his love and his care for me. The doctors who treated me then is where I saw that love. I had a lumpectomy and 30 radiation treatments. After my last radiation treatment, I remember the doctor saying, congratulations, you're cancer free. That really surprised me. Yes, I am a survivor, and I remember pen proudly. During all these illnesses, I kept repeating the scripture from Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, for I know the plans I have for you. That gave me confidence that God was in control of my life. <clears throat> I had to take one day at a time, trusting that he knows what is best for me. And that's when I could see how wide God's love for me really is. I had people praying for me all over the country. So many friends sent cards, others brought food, and many of you visited and prayed for me. If you look back over your own life, you'll see how God has revealed how wide, long, high, and deep his love is for you too. Sometimes life is easy. Sometimes life is hard, but God's love is still there. Sometimes circumstances don't change and you just have to keep plugging through day after day like my dad did with my mother. Sometimes circumstances um, do improve and the best outcome unfolds is when the gallbladder mass turned out not to be cancer. Sometimes things take a turn for the worse such as when my breast cancer was confirmed. And sometimes life can surprise us, like when I was told that I was cancer-free. Whatever we have to deal with in life, God's unfailing love for us is always there. And he wants us to look for evidence of it.
Yes, look closely, it's there. Good morning, Vonsack family. My name is Wendy Anderson, and I've been a member of Vonsack for 16 years along with my husband, David. We have a daughter, Sydney, 18, who is in her first semester at Liberty, and a son, Rob, 14, who is in his freshman year at Lord Botetat. When Dr. Chris asked me to share my testimony, I quickly said yes. It's not because I love public speaking. It was because God actually prepared me a few years ago after Danny Queeran delivered a message on 1 Peter 3.15. On July 8th, before I was asked to speak today, I wrote, work on your testimony, right here on my phone at the end of a to-do list. I literally heard God say those words to me, work on your testimony. That's one thing I've learned, the more you seek God, the more clearly you'll hear God. I was born to Pat and Tommy Dowdy here in Roanoke and attended a church called Bible Baptist on Garden City Boulevard. Mom and Dad sang in a gospel group and it was broadcast over the radio, kind of a big deal for a small town church. I recall singing with them once, the three of us stood behind the podium, me in the middle, standing on a metal chair. My mom would give me a pat when it was time for me to sing. Today, I still know many hymns and gospel songs that I don't even realize I know until the music starts. I was an only child growing up, but wasn't born an only child. I had a sister named Tracy. She died in a terrible accident when she was five. My dad worked second shift, and he was leaving for work. She was playing in the driveway on her bike, and he didn't see her and backed over her with the car. She died instantly. I was young, but I remember how the Lord showed up for my family. The support from our friends and church family, the first responders who came to the funeral, it was just an incredible outpouring of love. I don't know why some things happen, but I do know that God saves us from tragedies. He doesn't bring them on us. The evil world does that. I also know my dad had a choice to make after that horrific event, to go towards love and forgiveness of himself or to go rogue. And I will be forever grateful that he chose forgiveness. He is one of the kindest and gentlest men I know, full of humility and full of love for others. And I know because of Dad's obedience to God and teaching me the way to go that I'll get to meet my sister one day. Thank you, Dad. Mom and Dad divorced when I was 10. Dad left. Mom was battling depression and couldn't get herself out of bed or get me off to school. So I would get myself up and ready, and when I got home from school in the afternoon, she would still be in bed. Depression is a serious illness and one she would battle off and on for many years. She couldn't hold a job and we landed on some really hard times. I remember mom telling me we wouldn't have a Thanksgiving or a Christmas, but we had one and we had one bag of potatoes and we would have to make them last for two weeks. That was that was all we had to eat. But we have love and we have each other, she would say. Somehow on Christmas morning though, there were gifts under the tree and food was delivered by the Salvation Army. Mom told me Christmas was from an anonymous donor, and she beamed with happiness for me. I remember thinking, I want to help someone like this one day. I was still seeing my dad during this time. He loved me very much, and he would have helped, but I didn't tell him how bad things were. Depression was still lurking, and my poor mom was still losing. I knew, though, that whenever I saw her sitting at the kitchen table reading her Bible and singing one day at a time, or I won't have to worry anymore, that it was going to be a really good day. It was around that time that mom told me how to invite Jesus into my heart. So I did, and we laughed and we cried together. We ended up losing our house and moving into a not so great apartment complex 
full of drug deals and fights in the parking lot. Mom said, it's not where you live, but how you live. She would get a new job, all excited, only to lose it again. Even though I said my prayers at night, I don't remember if I felt hurt or not. I wish I could remember what I, what I felt besides a void. Mom continued to struggle now with failing health added to the mix, so I had two jobs by the time I was 16 to make ends meet. Then, in my junior year, I came home from school one day and found a notice on the door. It wasn't the usual late notice. This one was different. We had been evicted. I turned around, went back to school, cleaned out my locker, walked out, and I never looked back. I got a third job. Mom went into a homeless shelter. I stayed with my grandmother some and then friends until we could get back on our feet. Mom wasn't in the homeless shelter long. I recall my, gran I recall my granny saying, I'm praying for you. And I'd say, why, Grandma? I've got paychecks coming in and I've got groceries. Did you hear me? I've got groceries. I didn't even realize how bad it was. And then I did. I soon became angry that I had to quit school and I felt like a failure. Even though I was fighting to survive, just fighting to be normal, I still wasn't normal. I had missed my senior year and my graduation. Not only that, but I had started dating someone to help fill the void and it was not a healthy relationship. So there I was, a high school dropout, clinging to what I thought was love. I wanted my mom safely in a decent home and taken care of, but at the same time I was frustrated and wanted as far away from her as possible. My relationship with the guy ended. Mom and I didn't speak for a few months and I got to a point where I didn't pray anymore. I didn't trust anyone, not even God. And I didn't want anyone's help. I would do it on my own. As much as I turned my back on things, still there were glimpses of God. I left him, but he never left me. There were reminders always. My granny talked to me about God and asked me to come to church with her. Other family members checked on me and showed care and concern for me. Mom would tell me she was praying and going to church and having better days. I felt like I was doing the wrong thing, cutting Mom out, and I knew she needed me, that it was, that it was breaking her heart not to be close like we were. We had been through too much together. God had shifted my focus off of myself and back onto him, which meant it was time to make amends and not be stifled with bitterness any longer. Mom and I got to a better place, and I moved back in with her. I remember it was great to pull out the old hymn books and sing together again. By then I was 22, and remember that third job I mentioned? That job led me to meet a guy named David Anderson. Thank you, job number three. It was an instant connection, and after our first date, we both went home and told our moms we had found the one. He was still and is still the one person in the world I feel safe with, and I know God brought him into my life. They say opposites attract, and in a lot of ways were different, but I had truly found the one my soul loves. Fast forward a year and a half, and we were married right here in this very spot with Dr. Bob officiating. For years, I carried embarrassment and shame and had a lack of confidence and even self-respect because of quitting high school, and I made some terrible decisions because of it and got far away from God. I lied about graduating high school so I wouldn't have to relive the story. I was focused on other things besides him, like going out and partying with friends in places I had no business being. The devil has a way of turning things around on us and helping us create sin by playing to our weaknesses. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Make no mistake, it's his job to prey on us, and he will never run out of tricks. He can take the smallest speck of sin and cause it to spread like wildfire. 
As I was approaching my 30th birthday and Dave and I began to discuss planning, uh, family planning, planning, it was then that the Lord reminded me again I was on my own and thinking of self and that it was a lonely place to be. One day I heard a song on the radio and the words, oh what I would do to have, the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boat I'm in, onto the crashing waves. The waves they keep on telling me time and time again, you'll never win, you'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory, his, not mine. That's when I realized how lukewarm I was being with my faith. Three years later, in June of 2003, when Sydney was about to turn two and Rob was in the plan, but not here yet, Dave and I joined Bonsack and were baptized here together. Over the past 16 years, God has slowly molded me into a new person. I say slowly because it didn't happen overnight. I started with a Bible study, joined choir, helped with children's choir, then began to help with teaching. It felt wonderful to finally be part of something so positive and God-centered, to be part of something bigger than me, to watch my kids grow here, accept Christ, and be baptized. A couple of years ago, there was another change. Sometimes we think we're giving it all to him, but we're really not. And I didn't realize it, but I was hanging on to stuff until I got more serious about my prayer and devotion time. The one thing I had completely missed was developing and growing a relationship with God. I remember hearing it for the first time here at Bonsack, wondering, what do they mean, a relationship with God? Well, it begins with a conversation, just you and Him. Since then, and with God's help, it's gotten easier to let go of paralyzing thoughts and self-doubt. I've truly been able to let go and let God. God presented me with an opportunity to move into a new position at work, which put me out in front of people, which is not a place I like to be. But after a lot of time in prayer, I realized it wasn't about me, that this would be an opportunity for him to be glorified as my mission field grew. Looking back, I'm grateful for those God has placed into my life, friends and family who make God priority, my tremendous in-laws, Basically, all the staff here at Bonsack and so many of you, you probably don't even realize the impact you've made just by being here consistently and offering a smile returned. There is a joy and comfort like no other when gathering in the name of Jesus and to worship together. You are my church family. In closing, I would like to offer this. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer and what God can do for you. He has given me confidence to step out in front at work, yes, but I honestly feel like he is just laying the groundwork there for something more, something for him. And it's him I'm focused on now. He gives you strength you don't have, the love to forgive, the peace to heal, the story to share, the offer of eternal life, the opportunity to say no to sin and to the things that will hurt you in your relationships. He pours into us when our cups are empty. He fills us, he fills our holes, he makes us complete or as close as we can get until we come face to face with him again. If you're not a Christian, I would like to encourage you to have a conversation with God. It requires zero preparation, it's just a talk. Then have another one tomorrow, and then another. That's how we began our relationship and it changed me from the inside out. Why do you need changing? Just share your struggles and ask him what he can help you with. If you are a Christian, ask God if you've completely let go and then pray that you will be open enough to hear his response.
If you're a member here and you see me walking in the halls with a smile on my face, which is the norm, it's not because I've got groceries. It's because I've got God, and I'm going to keep them this time. Thank you. There are two unalterable facts of the gospel, and both are necessary. The first is brokenness. We talk a lot about brokenness here at church because that's where our story begins. We are all broken people. No matter how hard we try to present ourselves as those who have it all together, the fact is that all of us are carrying brokenness and imperfection. There is a void in each one of us. For all of us, there is something about our life that is not as it should be, that is not as we would want it to be. And so our story begins with brokenness. And my hope and prayer is that as you've listened to these ladies share out of their own brokenness, that you're able to more fully admit to yours. But the second is not brokenness, because that's not where our story ends. The second truth is healing and completeness and fulfillment, because that's where God takes us. It begins in brokenness, but by His grace, He works through us to heal us, to bring us to a new place of fulfillment. And while, as Wendy said, we will never reach complete perfection until we're standing face to face with Jesus, the fact is that if we will admit our brokenness to him, he will work through us to heal us. He will meet us in those broken places and begin to do things in our lives that we can't begin to imagine. And so my prayer is that secondly, as you've become more attuned to your own brokenness, that you're also more aware of God's desire to bring you to a place of healing and wholeness so that you can move forward in life in strength and completeness and in confidence in his grace. I'm grateful to these two ladies for being willing to share their story. Uh, at the end of the service, they'll be at the back door. I hope you'll take a moment and speak to them and thank them. It takes a lot of courage to get up and talk about your own needs for God in your life. I'm grateful that they've done it. But as we close, I encourage you to consider where you are in your journey. Is If, as Wendy's already said, you've not surrendered to Jesus Christ, and this is a moment to do so, to call upon him, to declare him Lord, and to acknowledge your need for his fulfillment. If you've taken that step, then what's next for you? What new level of obedience, what new level of surrender is he calling you to? There's a question there for all of us to answer as we worship him. I encourage you to take your hymnals. Let's close our service together as we worship him. Let's stand and sing.